Welcome to episode number five of Nurses Living the Good Life. My name is Ann Conkley, and I'm a certified nurse midwife and a certified life coach. And I'm so excited to be here today. And we're going to talk about what it means to live the good life and my approach, which includes the three A's. So um, I just want to make sure that I mention it, which is that if you're living in the world right now and you have any access to media, you know very well that there are countries at war. And so I want to just put it out there that if you are someone who is um, at a point of struggling with working through a pandemic, living through a pandemic, trying to figure out childcare and becoming the person who navigates COVID with ease, then sometimes the news and all of the stories around the current world events can feel more overwhelming and more detrimental than they can feel good and beneficial. So remember that you get to choose and you get to give yourself permission on what media you consume, how much is too much, what inspires you versus what brings you down, and that you ultimately know yourself best. So make sure that in these coming days and weeks, as we continue to see more information come out about the war in Ukraine, that you use an approach that serves you. And that approach will not be the same. It's not going to be the same for you as it is for me, and that's okay. The goal is to find what serves you. Is it a once a day email brief from the New York Times, like what I do? Is it watching the news in the evenings? Is it not watching the news at all right now? Is it turning off NPR and putting on a podcast on your way to work? Regardless of what you choose, just know that you get to decide what you consume. And it's okay to turn it off. And it's okay to take a pause. And it's okay to deal with your own shit before feeling like you have to deal with others. Okay? So let's get to the strategy around my three-step approach for living the good life, which I think is available to every single advanced practice nurse out there. And um, it's not that hard. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. Now, look, it took me some time to put this together, right? Because this has always been the, the foundation of the strategy that I've used. But more recently, within the past year, I've become, I've become aware of this pattern in the three A's and how often they come up when I have conversations with clients about you know them um, taking what they have, repackaging it, repurposing it, and using it to their advantage and doing something different maybe than they've done before, maybe than um, you know, they originally had set out to do, right? For those of you who became advanced practice nurses and the calling was very clear, I, you know, become a nurse, become an advanced practice nurse, um, just as that journey was for me in terms of becoming a midwife. Once you get into a place where you feel uh, comfortable and competent and confident, sometimes that's where the itch comes in as you know, right? We talk about this with a seven-year itch around marriage, but I think we also see it around jobs. We also see it around relationships in general, right? That sometimes we do outgrow things. We outgrow relationships and jobs, and we uh, desire new things in our lives and new approaches. We develop our mindset. We become more aware. We understand what serves us and what doesn't. And, uh, and so when that seven-year itch comes, when all of a sudden the, the thoughts come of, what's my next step? I don't know, right? My advice is to consider the three A's. 
so that you can create your version of being a nurse who lives a good life. So the first one is authenticity. And authenticity is one that I think gets um, maybe kind of a bad name, right? Especially for those of us who are um, more introverted like I am, right? As a very highly introverted woman and as someone who is um, very intentional uh, about things like sleep and about time spent with others, knowing full well that as an introvert, every time that I go into a situation where I'm around people, uh, it becomes a, a battery draining event for me rather than a battery charging event for me. We know that that's one of the typical differences that we see between introverts and extroverts, right? Introverts go into a, a situation and their battery, especially that is um, uh, facing people, and their battery gets drained. Extroverts go into a situation with people and their battery gets charged up, right? And so when 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 you're the person who is the introvert who knows that her battery gets easily drained from being around people, and you also work in the clinic setting three to five days a week, and you're on for 20 to 30 patients a day, and then you come home and you have small children who are like, hey, mom, hey, mom, hey, and then you have a partner maybe or a a parent who calls and is like, hey, what's going on? What are we doing for this weekend? What are the plans? Are we going on that trip? And you're like, oh, my God, everybody stop it, (laughs) right? If you're an introvert, you're like, yep, I know it. That's me. I know. You're in good company, girl. Don't worry. You are in good company around here because one of the most challenging parts of uh, the past few years for me has really been uh, acknowledging the fact that I am heavily introverted and really creating a plan of attack so that I can be in uh, awareness around the level of my battery, right? How charged it is versus how drained it is. And also so that I can step back and see the patterns that occur when my battery gets really drained, how much I begin to yell at the kids, how much I get really chippy, right? That's what we call it in my house when we get a little chippy around each other, you know, uh, or snap at each other. And so I know as someone who's very introverted that it becomes, um, it becomes much easier for me to exist in the world when I develop an awareness around my patterns and know then and plan out the week so that I put a number of hours on the, the, the events that I'm doing and the, um, the people with whom I'm engaging so that I can make sure I keep an eye on my battery strength right? It's just like, we're just, it's like, we're not letting it drain to zero, right? I'm not at a point, right? And think about it with your phone, right? Many of us, some of us will be like, are the people who are like, oh, we just let it drain all the way down to zero. I don't do that anymore. I don't let it drain down to zero. It's the same thing with the car, right? We don't drive around a car and um, drive it till it hits empty. Why? Because you would be without gas and you would be stranding on the side of the road, right? So some of us have a strategy. We're like, oh yeah, we refuel when we're at a quarter of a tank. Some people don't like to be below half a tank. I mean, if you've ever seen some people, I know some people like that are like, oh, I get to blow half a tank and God forbid it's the winter. Really don't want to get caught without gas in my tank, you know, at that point. And so they make a point, right? Every time it falls below half a tank, they're, they're back refilling. And what if, what if you knew your, your battery life that well? What could that look like, Right. What could it look like to be the person who says, oh, I, I know my battery capacity or I know the t- capacity of my tank and I never go, go below half full. What could that look like personally for you? What opportunities could that afford you in terms of um, you know, the relationships that you have and showing up as the, maybe as the advanced practice nurse or the parent or the partner that you desire to be? 
So along with authenticity and one of the, the really key components of what we discuss in Women Who Cultivate is, um, is strengths, right? And understanding and knowing your strengths as a human. And the tool that we use is uh, Clifton Strengths, which is a, uh, an assessment that can be done online. And it, it's interesting because when you become aware of your strengths and you know them, there's an opportunity for you to use them to your advantage, right? To double down on your strengths. And when I start to think about all of the activities over the course of the week, the years, uh, you know, the decades that I've engaged in, whether it's been on a personal level or a professional level, I think it's interesting that, and you may relate to this, that you and I can probably do a lot of things, right? You could go into a clinic setting maybe and work, see 30 patients a day for several days a week. You could go and work on Saturdays. You could do shift work. You could do a 72-hour call. You could do a 24-hour call. You could do a week-long call, you know, where you take coverage for the inpatient service. I mean, a lot of us can do what I would say are hard things, right? Sometimes you may get asked to do the project at work. You may be the person who's the go-to for creating all the social events and putting together some sort of a um, you know, gathering of sorts. And, um, and so many of us can do all that stuff well. But what's interesting is that when you become the person who's aware of her strengths, you realize that either there's a benefit to you becoming the social coordinator of the group or there's not right? I mean, you could do it. You'd probably knock it out of the park. If someone tasked you and said, now, even if you're like, God, I hate putting together the social events, which sometimes I I used to think that. And so I get it. And I also want to say, but what if, um, you know, if you were asked to do it, could you? Yeah, of course. You're like, look, I can run a code. If I can run a code, I'm pretty sure I can do anything. I have that thought about advanced, (laughs) I have that thought about all nurses. If I can run a code, I can do anything in life. Um, right. But what if you could, what if you could be aware of your strengths, double down on them and always use them to your advantage and develop a decision making strategy for, uh, choosing programs and choosing endeavors and choosing projects that you commit to. We talked about that last week in, um, the, um, why your indecision is costing you and also why it's exhausting you, right? And so think of if you could say, oh, well, my strengths are that I'm an achiever, a relater, and a maximizer. And so therefore, I tend to keep, uh, I do activities and I commit to things that help me to use those strengths to my advantage, right? Couldn't that be, wouldn't that be interesting to exist as a person who always doubled down on her strengths? Wouldn't that be interesting to um, only choose activities that served you can you imagine if you're sitting at work and your boss is like, hey, so we're going to need a, you know, um, uh, we're going to need a review of all of the clinical practice guidelines, right? And if you were the person who said, I don't, I can't stand looking up, you know, going to up to date and looking up all the clinical practice guidelines and then vetting it with Medscape and then also going to, you know, uh, my professional organization and looking up their society, you know, the, the goals and recommendations and all of their, uh, you know, uh, opinion briefs and right? If you're the person who can't stand doing research like that, it's going to feel like nails on chalkboard. Like literally, it will, you, would, you, you will probably look at your uh, director and you will send her daggers with your eyes. You will be like, oh my God, not again. Oh, really? Right? You'll dread it, right? It'll feel like it'll take you like nine times as long. She'll be like, this is terrible. You'll be crying. It'll be like Monday and you'll be in your car and you'll be like, I don't want to go to work. Oh my God. And then she'll email you and she'll be like, hey, did you get that thing done? And you're like, no. 
okay. She's like, so can you get it done by Friday? And you're like, oh God right? You, you know, you guys know how this goes, right? If, and if you are, if you are the person now who loves it, and you're like, I love guidelines. I love to research them. I love to go make sure that, you know, there's consistency between what I see on OptiDate and what our professional society recommends. And I like to be the person who coordinates it. I love to use bullets on Microsoft Word. And so I'm going to make sure that I'm using, you know, numbers and then letters and then Roman numerals. So it's very clear. And then there's going to be a little bit of difference in formatting. So there's bolded areas in italicized I mean, even just saying it kind of makes me chuckle because I, right, I know that I love that part of it. I love making up that, uh, the, the skeleton version of it in the curriculum. I love the organization that comes with that, right? And so I, I used to love to be on the guidelines committee and reviewing guidelines and making sure that, you know, there were very clear steps that you could, uh, you could put into a guideline and that anywhere in the department, someone could use it and make sure that it was followed with consistency, right? Because it was so clear, there was no ability to, you know, get anything wrong, um, or to misinterpret anything. So, so if you're the person who comes into, right, that the ask from your director, can you be on the guidelines committee or can you, you know, do this project? If you knew your strengths and you were to say, you know, that's actually not the best use of my time because, you know, I think maybe we can go and get Katie, right? This is a great way to be like, you know, I think this would be a wonderful project for, um, you know, our coworker, Katie and um, Tanisha, right? Like you could, you, I used to always love to do that, especially with, I don't know if you guys ever did this with patients, but you know, when a patient would come in and there clearly was a disconnect between you and the patient, you're like, you know, I think, uh, I think you would be well served to see one of my partners. I'm going to set you up with her because, you know, I think that you guys would have a better relationship. And I think, you know, and if you have anything, if you need something, please don't hesitate to come back. But I don't know if you ever used to have those conversations, right? But at some point when you know how you operate and you are in front of a patient or your director and you're getting all these asks that it becomes really helpful and handy to have a filtering tool, right? To say no to this, yes to that right? Number one, we then decrease our time spent in in decision. But then number two, we also use our strengths to our advantage. And that's when I really think we can knock it out out of the park, right? If you can double down on your strengths and you can forget all of your weaknesses and, and, and some people say, but what if I'm, you know, running a business? Well, the reality is if you're running a business then you definitely need to double down on your strengths or running a private practice, you definitely need to double down on your strengths and then hire a team in to, to round it out, right? If you're not the person who's great at looking up guidelines for your practice, then damn it, hire somebody who is, right? This is what you got to do. And we're pretty good at this, I think, in a variety of ways. It's kind of like, we used to always kind of chuckle because when I was a labor and delivery nurse and and then a, mid- a midwife, you know, there was always a patient who came in who was, um, you know, maybe with her birth plan or she was looking for a particular uh, kind of experience with the birth, right? And it used to drive the nursing staff crazy. They'd be like, oh, God, room six has a birth plan. Oh, she's going to get what she came for. I mean, there was just all this, like, this toxic thinking about the birth plan as if the birth plan was this curse of not getting the birth you wanted, which, you know, look, I've seen a lot of birth plans go awry and I've seen a lot of birth plans become beautiful um, visions of what could be possible. And then to see it and, and, you know, actually fold unfold is unbelievable, right? So it goes both ways. But, um, but to see the staff's reaction and say, oh God, she's got a birth plan. She wants to use the birthing ball. Oh God, she needs a peanut ball. 
right? Like, and so we would have inevitably some nurses who would be very comfortable with that. Maybe it was a nurse like me who was looking to go to midwifery school and who was like, yeah, I love birth. You know, I'll take all of it. Put me wherever, right? I love it. I love most of it, right? Not all of it, but like the majority of it I'm in, you know, I'll figure it out. And, and then there were some of the nurses who were like, God, do not put me with a patient who is, who seeks unmedicated childbirth because I can't handle it. Like, it's just, oh, it's so uncomfortable and it's fine, right? That we, we all have, we all have, you know, our, uh, we, we know kind of what we do best and that's, that's great. Right. And so that's the key. Know what you do best, become the charge nurse or become the director who says, oh no, no, no. I always give the social events to, you know, Katie, because Katie loves to plan them. Or I always give the, um, you know, chart reviews and the, um, prep for, um, you know, our M&M to, uh, Tanisha, because Tanisha is really skilled and she loves to, you know, create Excel spreadsheets and to, uh, you know, make sure that the, um, the formula is there and that we have all the data that we need when we go to sit down and have those reviews, right? But that's the beauty when you know your strengths and when you then can become the person who, not number one, either delegates the work uh, that needs to be done to the appropriate person and matches that, or if you can become the person who, as an individual, uh, maybe as the owner of the business or of the practice, becomes the person who says, oh no, I, I only as best I can engage in the things where it feels to me like they are playing to my strengths. I mean, can you imagine how that could feel? What if you divided up your household? What if you said to your partner, hey, I love to clean. I mean, I don't know anybody of you. I don't know if anybody in, you know, listening likes clean. I don't. I really don't. Something that I just, I, I, and we, we hire someone to do the cleaning in our home, which I love. It's one of those pers- it's one of those very fulfilling moments to come in when the house is clean and it smells crisp and good. I just love it. I love every second of it, right? But what if you could be the person in your relationship with your partner and you say, hey guys, I'm going to like, I win at this, right? I really win at being the person who on Sundays creates the meal plan for the week, does the shopping, and then does the cooking for the week. What if you were the person who said, I win at doing laundry. I love to do, you know, I, I, I'm good at laundry. I, I'm going to set up the schedule. I will be in charge of it. Make sure that your baskets are down here when they get full, and then I will run it and, you know, return it to you. Like, what if, what if that's how your household ran? Right? What if you were the person who said, I am always the person who, you know, if we've got birthday parties to go to for the kids that I manage getting, putting the calendar invite in the, um, you know, in the appropriate calendar, making sure that everyone can see it. It's not on my personal one, it's on my family one. I then go and make sure that I've ordered a gift from Target. I lay it out in the calendar and put a weekly reminder in so that the gift gets ordered. Right? Like, what if you could be that person? How could that feel? To be like, oh yeah, I love to do that stuff. Or maybe I don't even love to do it, but maybe I'm just super good at it. So I'll just take this and own this and you do all those other things, right? Because if you're like, I don't want to do the laundry and you get tasked with doing all the laundry, or you're the person who doesn't like to clean and you get tasked with all the cleaning. Yeah. Like how fun is life for you? That's like no version of living the good life, right? Hell, well, I, you know what? You get to choose what, how you're going to answer that. I know what my answer is, and I'm not doing it. I'm like over that shit, I'm way over it. <laughs> so, um, 
So the first A in our, you know, the three A's that are required for, in my opinion, living the good life, that first A, authenticity. The second A is awareness. And this is really kind of an interesting area because I think most of us aren't really on to ourselves, right? And I think when you become more aware, you become, um, you, you become the person who knows her patterns, who can um, then see them, see where she gets stuck, see where she sometimes gets trapped in like exhaustion or in overthinking, right? Or um, when you um, become more aware, you can actually learn the patterns and learn how to avoid them and then outsmart your brain, right? When you become aware, you can work smarter, not harder. Isn't that so interesting? Like when you become the person who can name her emotions, you then become a person who can quantify how often she gets stuck in overwhelm, right? Or you become the person who can quantify how many projects did I do this year that didn't play to my strengths, right? Awareness is a great tool. It takes the ability to become objective, to step out of the current and to take a neutral view. And I think that's something that we're good at because we understand objective data as advanced practice nurses, right? From writing thousands of a bajillion soap notes over the years, right? And understanding objective data. Uh, and the fact that objective data, right, is arguable in a court of law. It is factual, right? Blood pressure is 120 over 80, fact. Respers, 18. Heart rate, 97. Facts, SpO2, 92, 97, 99, whatever, right? And so if you are, if you can be the person who looks at that data objectively and then can see, right, for a hypertensive, oh, this patient came in in March of 2020, 140 over 90, um, May of 2020, 129 over, you know, 82, uh, uh, August of 2020, 151 over 75. If you can be aware of the patterns, you can diagnose hypertension. And it's no different in our in our lives in terms of how we operate personally, right? If I can become the person who is aware of how often I am, um, my battery is drained, right? We talked a little bit about that in authenticity, right? If I can become the person who is aware of how many times I get chippy in a week with my family, or who um, even is the person who... Um, you know, and, and, you know, we just talked about an authenticity, this idea of letting the gas tank run to E, right? Run to empty. And I, I don't know if you've ever run out of gas before, but it's kind of an interesting experience. And I have never actually run out of gas, but damn it, I've come close a couple of times because I wasn't aware of how low I was on the tank, right? And so what happens? Well, when you get really low on the, on the tank in terms of your amount of gas you have in your car... And all of a sudden you turn on the feature of the distance till empty and it's like 30 miles and that, and you're on the highway and you're like, uh-oh, I know I don't know if I can actually get home, right? It's going to put like, it might put a little fear in you, right? It might light a, a little fire under your ass to be like, oh, maybe I don't want to be on the highway sweating because I think I'm going to run out of gas. Because all of a sudden the, you know, the distance till empty, if it says 30 miles, it's not 30 miles, it's probably like 15 right? And so, and you know, it's probably like 20, right? We, you can't, do you really want to rely on it? I don't, right? I don't want to be stranded on the side of the damn road. So, but if I can become the person who says, oh, okay, well, I, you know, I look at my dashboard when I get in and review every time I start the car, how much gas do I have, 
right? Or right, and even for some of us who have children who are becoming those uh, at the age of which they drive, right? Laying out the foundation of how they they can become people who take care of a car and make sure that they are intentional, right? Like when I get in the car, I check and see how much gas I have so that I know if I need to go and stop and first get gas so that I don't become the person stranded on the side of the road with a car that's you know on E. Right? So awareness is really an opportunity. And I think it's it's something that we just know how to do because we've been trained in objective data and we've been trained to diagnose and to make assessments, right? And to come up with plans, right? And so you guys see this sometimes, we see this in women's health with the patient comes in with chronic UTIs or with chronic, you know, vulvar conditions or vulvar concerns, right? We understand that sometimes the minute that you get to recurrence in terms of whether it's a vulvar condition or um, a UTI, right? We know that at some point we're going to probably need some additional support and treatment, right? The patient with vulvar concerns who you try, you know, four different creams on and where there's no change in terms of the uh, discomfort that she's experiencing or the symptoms or the signs on the vulva, it's probably going to need a vulva biopsy, right? We're really good at seeing that pattern. Like, okay, we use triamcinolone, no change. We then moved it up to moderate potency steroid. Okay. Then we tried a, you know, a, um, a combination cream and right. Like, at some point, if you look at all the creams and the patient's still having the symptoms, right, and you are the person who can see the pattern, the vulvar itching or the vulvar discomfort continues, then next step is, right, a vulvar biopsy, right? And so we know this. We become humans who are aware. We become advanced practice nurses who have developed our awareness. And so what I would say is that the beauty is that if you can do that for, for your patients, you can do it for yourself, Right? You've already you've already made it halfway there. Now it's to just to shine that light uh, internally and say, oh, if I was going to know my patterns, and I wanted to be the person who outsmarted my brain, what would that look like? What are some of my patterns and how I get stuck? Again, get, always getting curious with awareness. One of the best tools that we have for awareness is um, emotional intelligence, and really, uh, or awareness actually falls under the category of emotional intelligence, and we know emotional intelligence is one of the key. Uh, factors in in determining the leadership qualities and the amount of resonance that leaders will have. And so if you were ever to say, well, why would I ever value or why would it be important for me to become a person who's more aware? Well, the opportunity is that the upside is huge, right? If you can become emotionally intelligent and become someone who's self-aware, you have the opportunity to stand out in a crowd, to become a leader of yourself. And once you become a leader of yourself, you certainly then are much more capable of becoming a leader of others. Or I guess we could just turn that around and say, you cannot become a leader of others until you're willing to become a leader of yourself, which involves becoming aware of your patterns, right? So, so awareness has a huge opportunity for us. And, um, and I think it fits well in terms of, uh, again, creating your version of living the good life. So authenticity, number one, awareness, number two, number three, alignment. This is where we make magic happen, right? This is where you create the life you desire. You create your version of the good life and you make decisions that serve you. And what's so interesting is that in my experience, when I see my clients and and from a personal standpoint, take authenticity and combine how they, their strengths and how they show up in the world and then combine it with knowing their patterns and learning to outsmart their brain and making sure that they create a mindset of success and always knowing, um, you know, being the person who can step back and look at the objective data, 
they create magic. They totally make epic shit happen in their lives. Why? Because when you put together authenticity and awareness, you naturally create alignment in your life. It becomes easier to make the decisions that serve you if you are more aware of your patterns, if I'm an introvert or an extrovert. If you become more aware of the fact that you sometimes avoid the discomfort, right? If you become aware of the fact that you procrastinate and you let leave charts open and that and that sometimes you, you know, leave your task list open. If you come more aware of that and how often that you then at the end of the week or before you go on vacation need to take an extra four or six or eight hours to clean out your in-basket, your in-basket right? There's an opportunity there and you can use it to your advantage and then make decisions that serve you. Do I want to continue to be the person that spends four to six hours before I go on vacation clearing out my in-basket because I haven't you know, made created the system that's helped me keep up to date with it during the week? right? So alignment is kind of what naturally occurs when we become people who are committed to being authentic, showing up as ourselves, showing up, um, uh, knowing our strengths, and also showing up um, with the desire to double down on them and use them to our advantage. And what's interesting is that I think sometimes there are some things that get in the way of these three A's. And I just want to touch on them because these are normal and they happen. But what's interesting is that if you think there's a right way, right? If you want others to think highly of you and you try to be someone that you're not, I did that for many years, you won't be authentic. You literally can't be authentic. It is the uh, the absolute opposite of authenticity, right? To think, oh, right, I'm going to try to be somebody I'm not because I think that this is the way that, you know, I'll get promoted or I think this is what they want to see, right? Absolute uh, opposite, right? And if you aren't aware, you may then also indulge in becoming overwhelmed. You may decline to work smarter because you're like, God, that feels so hard. Like it just doesn't sound so hard to have to work smarter. I'm going to have to like figure out systems. Oh God, right? And what happens in the meantime, you just end up working harder, by the way, right? Because you're like, you just continue to be the person who doesn't have the system set up and you just double your work, right? Without being the person who says, oh, no, 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 I'm going to work smarter. It's going to take me a little time, right? If I'm going to set up a system for going through my labs, uh, you know, that serves me and helps me to keep on top of them and avoid the four to six hours before vacation of clearing out the end basket, then, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time up front, but man, the return on investment is can pay off down the road. It's going to pay off in spades because it's not only serving me for this vacation, but it's going to help me for the next 20 vacations I take. Beautiful, right? And then there's that, you know, this other part of it of, you know, why you may not be living the good life, right? And why you're not creating it. And we talked a little bit about this last week, which is, you know, becoming uh, a person who's decisive or the fact that your indecision is costing you, or maybe the fact that you don't, you won't take a stand for what you want. Maybe you're not willing to put a stake in the ground to, to try something, Right. And so all of these these issues come up and it's okay. It's just to highlight them and say that you're not alone. You have a human brain and sometimes you have thoughts and sometimes those thoughts don't serve you. And sometimes when those thoughts don't serve you, you sometimes create beliefs and, and patterns in your life that don't serve you. And that's okay because the beautiful thing is that we can burn those down to the ground and we can rebuild anew. And I really think that one of the ways to do that is to incorporate these three A's uh, into you know how you're living on a day-to-day basis. So we talked a little bit about authenticity. We talked a little bit about awareness. We talked about alignment and how all those fit together. 
We also kind of touched on maybe some of the reasons that you don't show up authentic, why you aren't aware, and why you are not creating the good life for yourself. And I hope that was useful to you. If you have a desire to become the person who uses the three A's to her advantage and you are a woman advanced practice nurse, I invite you to come to Women Who Cultivate and to have a conversation or to, to seek out whether or not that's the right fit for you. We talk uh, about the three A's quite a bit. And, uh, and I think it is one of the best tools that I can give to clients to help them to, again, stop feeling exhausted and start feeling empowered so that they can create the lives that they desire and all the epic shit that is just waiting to, uh, to be created. So, so come on over www.anconkleycnm.com and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.